This is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, really glad that you've joined us today. Uh, A little later in the program, we're going to have a really interesting conversation with a filmmaker who is trying to tell Detroit's story through a postal worker, through the stories of the people along his route in the zip code 48202, which is right in the center of the city. That film is going to debut on PBS World Channel next week, uh, and we're going to have the filmmaker as well as the postal worker here to talk about how they're telling that story and why they chose this vehicle to try to tell Detroit's story. So that's going to be a really interesting conversation. It'll get started At about 45 past the hour, you're going to want to stay tuned to that. But first, we want to wrap up the week's news, both locally and in Washington. And I've got great guests with me today to help do that. Uh, Ron Fournier is the president of Truscott Rossman Consulting Firm. Ron, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks for having me. How are you doing? Good. It's good to see you. Uh, And a little bit, we're going to be joined also by John Truscott, who is the CEO and principal of Truscott Rossman. Uh, He used to be the press secretary for Governor John Engler, somebody who's been around state politics for a very long time. Uh, He's on his way here. The weather, of course, uh, is confounding everybody's commute. Uh, He's a Republican. He's stuck stuck in gridlock. Yuck, (laughs) yuck. That's right. Good one. Yeah, there you go. Uh, But, Ron, let's start with you. You guys have a little news of your own at Truscott Rossman. Tell Tell us what that is. Yeah, uh, uh, this firm that uh, John uh, co-founded with Kelly Rossman McKinney, who has since retired and is now working for uh, Dana Nessel. Uh, We have offices already in Detroit, where I work out of, Lansing, where John works out of, in Grand Rapids. Uh, We've decided to open up a Lansing, or I'm sorry, a a Washington, D.C. office. Um, As you might know, that's where I spent my career. Mm -hmm. I finally came back home uh, a couple years ago. Um, And we realized that we already have a lot of clients for whom we're doing work in Washington, helping them. Um, bridge that divide between issues in, in Michigan and Lansing. And, you know, I know a lot of the public affairs, public policy people in Washington who are looking for help navigating Michigan. Um, so it just became obvious and apparent that uh, we needed to hang up a shingle and, and spend a little bit more time in Washington, D.C. so we could better serve our clients. Yeah. John and I ain't leaving Michigan. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm never leaving back? Detroit again. I just love it here. You spent um, a really long time in Washington, though. I mean, yeah. years and years as a reporter for AP and then uh, for National Journal, right? Yeah, I think I told you the story. My my mentor and hero, um, um, Neil Shine, uh, who, who taught a class of mine at University of Detroit, would not hire me at the Detroit Free Press <laughs> and gave me the advice to go down to Arkansas to cover cops and courts. And I ended up... Uh, um, taking his advice and ended up covering Bill Clinton. And that brought me to the White House a few years later. And I spent 25 years trying to get back home, uh, raising the family along the way. Yeah. So we're here for good, but it's exciting. It gives me an excuse to go back to, to D.C. and visit my daughter who still lives there, one of my, my children, and to help uh, the, you know, our clients here in, in uh, Detroit, Lansing, Grand Rapids uh, figure out that that swamp. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Neil Shine, of course, was also one of my heroes, one of my first bosses. Uh, and I remember, you know, he was he was really big on that idea that you got to go chase fire engines yep. and uh, knock on doors and things like that God before bless you do the sort of higher level journalism that they yep. were doing at the at the Freep. Um, so that was great advice for both of us, I would say. He was a good man. Um, let's let's talk about uh, Washington. Speaking of Washington. A little bit of news this week. Really? Uh, there was a little bit of news this morning. Uh, it was really interesting to watch the social media feeds as uh, news of Roger Stone's arrest 
uh, and charging with obstruction of justice, lying to Congress, and witness tampering unfolded. Uh, FBI goes to his house at 6 a.m. knocking on the door. <laughs> this is like old school uh, FBI kind of uh, kind of behavior. You don't lie to the FBI. Don't tell lies, right? If you, if you don't want to do the time, don't do the crime. Look, um, collusion is not a crime. Collusion is a layman's term for working together to try to have an outcome. There's no doubt now that there's collusion. There's no doubt that the um, it's it's just a fact that the Trump campaign was was working with uh, agents for Russia uh, to try to get uh, information out that would help the campaign. Now the question is whether there's a legal conspiracy um, to affect the election. We don't mm-hmm. know that yet. Um, but Mueller is tightening the circle um, on uh, Donald Trump, on the president of the United States. And along the way, he has found liars who, who lied to the, uh, the, the FBI and, right. and, and Congress, um, or at least I should say alleged. Um, we're innocent until proven guilty. But there is now a string of, of indictments with really credible evidence that uh, people were obstructing justice and, um, and lying to in, in investigators and you have to wonder why. Why lie about this? Uh, what might you be covering up? If nothing up? was going on, yeah. why not go in and tell the truth? So the, the, um, it, it, Donald Trump, the White House is a lonely place to work when you're a president of the United States. He particularly has to feel like the walls are closing in on him. And, and so the New York Times has this graphic uh, today up on its website with the eight people who have been charged, have been you know, pleading guilty or sentenced since this happened. Eight, eight people, all pretty close to the president, to the president's family, to the campaign, including his lawyer, his personal lawyer, his campaign uh, manager, and now Roger Stone, one of his closest advisors. I, I really think it becomes very difficult to imagine that all of this effort would be expended to get those people if they were doing something wrong and that it wouldn't eventually land in the lap of the central character in all of this, Donald Trump, who was the candidate these people were were working for uh, and and perhaps colluding on behalf of uh, with, the, with the Russian government. Yeah, so the question is, was anybody else lying or obstructing justice closer to the president? Um, in, in particular, we need to watch the family members. Um, and was there, to your point, was there a, a grander conspiracy to overturn the election? Um, uh, it's, it's, it's very rare in American history have we seen an investigation this serious and this credible get this close to the president of the United States. The last time was, of course, Richard Nixon, and, and ultimately he had to leave, he had to leave office. Um, do, do you feel as though that's where this is headed? Is it? Is it? Is it going to end up uh, that that Donald Trump uh, is charged or or accused uh, by Congress or or by the investigators? I don't know. I, I can't predict uh, history. Um, we do have uh, just look at the politics. We do have a, a Democratic controlled House, and the Democratic controlled um, House has the option, um, has the power to impeach the president, which is the political equivalent of charging, indicting um, the president. Uh, the Senate is controlled by Republicans who so far are in lockstep behind the president. They're not acting independently. They're not acting like an independent branch. They're acting like part of a parliamentary system. And right now they are uh, defending uh, the president uh, against any um, accusation. Um, um, and so if that uh, holds true um, and they don't, there's not a crack in the, in the red wall, it, it's hard to imagine the president being convicted 
politically. Yeah. Now, there's another separate question whether he can be convicted in um, the criminal courts. Um, there's a body of not law, but a body of, of guidelines in the Justice Department that a sitting president cannot be indicted. That's a theory. Um, and then, of course, um, he's not going to be president forever. Uh, could he be convicted in criminal courts after the presidency? That, of course, also is possible. So, look, I've just created a path from him not being um, <laughs> uh, uh, charged at all to um, him being charged. Yeah. I, I don't know. One thing we have to understand is what we don't understand. We don't know what Mueller knows. Um, but everything he's come forward with so far has been very detailed not uh, he said versus she said, but backed up with 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 documents and emails and and uh, and texts. And so, um, if I'm the president, I'm having a hard time sleeping. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and my guest is Ron Fournier, president of the Truscott Rossman Consulting Firm, a uh, former White House correspondent for the Associated Press, uh, also former publisher of Cranes Detroit. Business. Uh, we're talking about the week's news uh, in Washington, and of course, this morning's news uh, that Roger Stone, a close advisor to President Donald Trump, uh, was arrested and charged with a number of different crimes, including obstruction of justice and lying to Congress. Uh, if you want to join the conversation, give us a call. Tell us what you think about uh, where all of this is headed in Washington. Uh, where where the Mueller investigation will end up? Will it end up? With uh, an indictment in the lap of the president of the United States, maybe indictments of his family, his children, who were very involved in the campaign uh, as well. Uh, as always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there. Or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. And we'll try to work you into the conversation. Let's start with Charlie in Royal Oak. Charlie, what's on your mind? A $50 bet yesterday that Trump would be out by the end of this year. And I'm feeling a whole lot more confident about winning that this morning because, to me, this is the biggest crack in the wall so far. Roger Stone is behind all of this. He he was probably even figured into Watergate. He's, he was Nixon's boy, and this guy is a master manipulator. Paul Manafort's longtime partner, and I really think he's sort of the puppeteer behind all this. Hmm. Hmm. So you think this makes it more likely that uh, the president is is in trouble? Oh yeah, I think this will be his unraveling. I think uh, what they've got on this guy, he's one bizarre old guy to begin with, um, <laughs> you know, and he's a brilliant strategist. I mean, no question. Um, but I really think that he's kind of one of the He's a linchpin. I yeah. think he's going to be his undoing. Yeah, Charlie, uh, I, agree. I think uh, the, the, that's a pretty clear read of of what's going on. I also uh, stuck my neck out on the question of whether the president would survive this on uh, the show Flashpoint on WDIV with Devin Skillian at the end of the year last year. He asked for 2018 predictions or 2019 predictions, and I said, well, I think by January 1st, 2020, somebody else. Uh, will be president. Uh, I, I, wow. I actually, I actually base that on uh, I th- what I think will happen with his children. I think that uh, prosecutors will try to strike a deal that says we won't prosecute you guys if you leave office, um, which is always sort of tricky. But uh, um, well, you know that's how Spiro Agner. That's what, exactly. why he resigned. Uh, they had a case built against him. I think Roger Stone gets him, now he's one step away from the kids, yeah. one step away from the scenario you're talking about. And Stone, to Charlie's point, 
is someone, he's a self-preservationist. If he has information on the kids, if he has information on the president, he won't, he, he's on the phone right now to Bob Mueller leaking. This is not somebody who's going to go down. This is not uh, G. Gordon Liddy. With, right. <laughs> he know, he right. knows what prison's going to be like when he walks in with his spats and top hat. Yeah. And, his, and the Richard Nixon tattoo. Nixon it's not going to be a good place. Which I didn't know about. I didn't know about this Nixon tattoo. On his back, but, yeah. But uh, Gus, our, one of our associate producers, was showing me this morning that he's got a tattoo of Richard Nixon on his back. You can't get the image out of your head, I promise you. Everything, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, Charlie, again, thanks for the call. Uh, let's go to Jerry in Detroit. Jerry. Welcome to Detroit Today. Hi. I think one of the things that Mueller is zeroing in on is uh, Stone's connection with the 2016 campaign, even though Stone denied that connection all along, mm-hmm. because he he was connected with the campaign back in 2015. And then it seems like Trump on purpose sort of put uh, Stone underground and seemingly to, dis, to disassociate him with the campaign when uh, he actually was feeding information all along from WikiLeaks. Mm. Yeah, uh, the, the, that connection uh, to the campaign is the thing that everybody keeps saying. Uh, each of these characters says, well, you know, I was kind of involved here, but I wasn't involved at this point, or I wasn't as involved as you think I was. But uh, but Mueller seems to believe, I mean, I think the pattern of indictments really suggests that he believes all of these people were deeply involved, not just in the campaign, but in the relationship building with these Russian operatives. Whether they knew what they were doing or not is, I think, a different question. It's undisputable that these characters were all deeply, including Roger Stone, deeply involved in the campaign. It's a, it's a myth. It's a lie to say they weren't. Uh, the president's tried to distance, distance himself from Paul Manafort. He was the campaign manager. He got him his delegates um, on the, uh, in, in Cleveland at the convention. Roger Stone was deeply embedded in the campaign. So you're right. The question is, how embedded were they with the Russians? Um, and, and what was their knowledge of their betting with the Russians? Right. That's the only question. Did There's they no know question they that they were, were running the campaign. Yeah. Uh, uh, Ron, I also want to talk uh, about the State of the Union, which um, at this point is not going to happen. It's supposed to happen, I guess, next week uh, on the 29th. <clears throat> Nancy Pelosi, who's again House Speaker, said eh, the president's not welcome to come give that speech here because the government shut down. There are security concerns that uh, are heightened because uh, some security staff is off uh, off of work. Um, I, you know, I worked in Washington for a, for a time. You worked there, there much longer than I did. I, I think this is one of those uh, events that that um, <clears throat> that sort of signals just how different this administration is. The idea. That the State of the Union, which everybody in Washington kind of sets their yearly clock to. I mean, oh, yeah. it, it, it's not that it, it's not that anything ever uh, earth shattering comes out of it. Just that it's one of those things that you always do that everybody pays attention to. Everyone writes about uh, the idea that it wouldn't happen again. I think just takes your breath a little bit about how far we've come from just 24 months ago. It sure does. Have it covered 24, 25 of them. Um, and knowing that this is a tradition, a, a, a secular political tradition that goes back to Woodrow Wilson's time, goes back to modern media, TV and radio. Um, for it not to happen just shows you just how abnormal this presidency is, but also how abnormal these times are. Um, 
Um, it's really um, striking that uh, the Democrats would deny the president that platform. Now, as you know, I, I'm somebody I've been accused of being a both siderism <laughs> of, of trying really hard to walk in both sides shoes and often criticizing both parties. In this case, I got to say, um, look, at the government shut down. The president shut it down and took pride in shutting it down. Well, he shouldn't come to the well at the House and give that speech while the government is shut down. I actually think Nancy Pelosi was a smart political thing to do, and I can't really find criticism in doing it. Open up the darn government. Yeah. You um, know, stop, stop pretending that the wall is a legitimate issue. Um, border security is. So let's negotiate a border security um, um, package that um, meets the Republicans' demands and, and satisfies the Democrats, and let's, let's get people back to work. I, I thought it was a real risk on Pelosi's part to pull that, to, to, to say, I'm going to disrupt, I'm going to disrupt something that, that most Americans actually pay attention to uh, as a way of trying to put pressure on the president to open up the government. That could have backfired on her. I thought it was a huge risk, too, and it could have backfired on her. Um, but I stopped underestimating Nancy Pelosi's political instincts many years ago. Um, you know, I put her, I put her with, uh, with the uh, the Reagans and Clintons and and uh, the, the Johnsons and uh, the old Tip O'Neills, you know she's she's a um, in a, in a class of her own on um, understanding the right time to do um, the right thing politically, and, and she understood that uh, um, the the president um, put this anvil around his neck and that that uh, she had an opportunity to put him in a box, and he had to cave to her. How often do you see Donald Trump? publicly caving to somebody. <laughs> she seems to be the only person he's afraid of. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we are now joined by John Truscott. Who's Finally made it. And it was quite a morning on the roads around say, here. It was really bad. <laughs> right? We got another Republican <laughs> complaining about gridlock. <laughs> you had a I, lot. I think it's great. You uh, had a long commute, I know, yeah. down here. I had a very, you know, as I do every day, a very short commute that was also really bad, though. I mean, it, yeah. it's remarkably, there wasn't that much snow, but uh, they had The lodge been... was a parking lot, and I found yeah. everybody got off to take Woodward <laughs> at the same time. <laughs> That's right. Uh, so, John, uh, welcome to the studio. Great to be here. Uh, we've already talked about you guys opening a D.C. office, but but I want to give you a chance to talk about uh, about why, why you're doing that. Well, I, I think it goes back to the growth strategy that the firm has had since uh, I merged my firm with Kelly Ross and McKinney in 2011, and and we said to, that together we could have more impact statewide. And so we opened an office in Detroit, we opened an office in Grand Rapids, and those are thriving and and going well. And now as we've continued to grow, we've we have a number of clients in Michigan that are Washington based. And they're looking to, to be heard uh, in Michigan, and they want people on the ground who know what they're doing and know the people involved. And we've also had a lot of people in Michigan who have needs through our federal government uh, and the people in the agencies there. So it's, a, it's the perfect opportunity and perfect time to continue our growth strategy and expand to Washington. And with Ron and Allie Walker in the office, we've got great people with Washington connections and deep friendships, and it uh, just, just seemed like the appropriate time. Yeah. Uh, Washington is so disrupted right now that uh, it, I think some people might say, oh, my goodness, why would you want to step into the middle of, of all of that? What a better time to try to bring sanity to it. Right. Um, just the way we work and, and the, the, our team, uh, we are honest, we are credible, uh, we, we deal ethically. Uh, in the way we do our business. And so it just, you know, maybe we can stand out from every, all the craziness going on out there. Yeah, 
Yeah. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to continue talking with John Truscott and Ron Fournier of the Truscott Rossman Consulting Firm. And we're going to want to hear more from you. What do you think about all the news in Washington this week? Uh, the State of the Union not happening next week as it would normally happen. Uh, Roger Stone arrested this morning on obstruction of justice and lying to Congress. No shortage of things to talk about. 313-577-1019 is always the number on the phones. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always... Thanks for tuning in. My guests are John Truscott and Ron Fournier. John is the CEO and principal of Truscott Rossman Consulting Firm. Ron Ron Fournier is the president of that firm. Uh, They're here to help me wrap up the week's news, but they also have a little news of their own. They are opening a D.C. office for their consulting firm. It comes at a precipitous time in our nation's capital when uh, the news cycle is maybe crazier than I have ever noticed it being, and when uh, the President of the United States seems to be in increasing peril over the things that were done during the 2016 presidential election. Uh, As always, uh, we would love to hear from you. The number on the phones is 313-577-1019. It's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll try to work you into the conversation. John, before we get back to the phones, uh, I, I want to give you a chance to talk about what is going on in Washington. Both the <clears throat> arrest of Roger Stone, which I think tightens this 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 circle around the president that uh, Bob Mueller has been uh, tightening for some time now in terms of getting closer and closer to the president's family and to him about what went on in 2016. Uh, Also, talk about the State of the Union not happening. Um, uh, That seems uh, a a particularly um, uh, notable uh, news item as well. What's what? What, what is? You, how are you making sense of all this? Uh, I'm not making sense of it. Um, <laughs> I mean, who knows where all this is going and and where it ends? And you know, I I do think once the State of the Union eventually happens, then people kind of get past the fact that it didn't happen when it was scheduled and supposed to. It. You know, I think on things like that, people have pretty short memories. Once things get uh, back on track. I'd, I'd like to contrast that, though, with what I see going on here in Michigan and Lansing, mm-hmm. where you have bipartisan leadership on both sides actually getting along and saying nice things about each other and being willing to work together. Now, I don't think that'll be on every issue, but at least on some of the big issues, they're they're sending a message. And with the quadrant meeting yesterday, getting everybody together, it's off to a really good start. Yeah. And, I, and I think that, that benefits the voters. I, I also have been impressed by what's gone on with uh, the new governor and the new leadership in in the legislature, uh, what do you make of of why that's possible now? I mean, we've had eight years of uh, relative stalemate uh, in 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 Lansing, even as the one party controlled all of the legislature. I mean, I, th- I feel like Governor Snyder at times was as frustrated with 
the legislative leadership as any Democrat uh, would have been in, in the governor's office. Now, all of a sudden, everyone is uh, kind of holding hands a little bit. Yeah, well, I, you know, I think Governor Snyder did a good job of getting government back on the right track, uh, working with everybody and and left the state in pretty good shape for, for Governor Whitner, Whitmer. You know, I think she comes from the legislative process. She understands how this works. That's going to be a huge benefit for her and the administration. And it'll also be good for the legislature because she comes and knows what the strategy has to be and actually how a bill becomes law. So they, they start in a much better place. Uh, I think they're going to get some some pretty early wins that shows that in politics people can work together. And that'll be before the budget hits and, and things, and they, they show their differences. But uh, I don't think it'll be toxic like it is in Washington. I think they genuinely like each other. And frankly, the leaders that are in charge in Lansing are all very good, uh, honest people. Hmm. And I think they'll work well together. Yeah. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number. Let's go to Martin in Detroit. Martin, what's on your mind? Hi, Stephen. Thanks hey. for taking my call. Sure. Um, I just got a comment about the um, the postponement of the State of the Union. Um, I think that what Nancy Pelosi did was totally reasonable and totally fair. Um, I don't think that there's any need for a State of the Union address right now because I think it's pretty obvious what the State of the Union is <laughs> with the government being shut down and Trump demanding his wall, as well as everyone around him being indicted and or convicted. Um, yeah, I don't really think that there's any more information that he can provide for us based on what the State of the Union is. I think yeah. it's pretty bad. Yeah, I, I think that's probably an accurate uh, read of that. Yeah, a couple uh, quick things here. You're right, Martin. Uh, first of all, the Constitution doesn't require an, an address. The Constitution requires a report annually. An update, right? Right. That can be done on the back of an envelope. And up until uh, between Jefferson and and Wilson, it was a, a written report. Secondly, we saw what this president does with a primetime address. Um, he basically packages together his tweets, and it's a very partisan address. Not that every State of the Union address isn't partisan, but but his statement that he gave on immigration a few weeks ago was was um, more partisan than we're used to out of a president for a primetime address. Uh, we know that's what we would get at the State of the Union. Maybe we'll have the first State of the Union given over Twitter. <laughs> There's an idea. <laughs> Just a stream of tweets. I don't think I'm looking forward <laughs> to that. The sound you hear is Madison rolling in his grave. Huh? But John, I, I, I'm also curious what you think of the of the strategy here that the White House has adopted. I mean, having worked for for Governor Engler, who had his own frustrations from time to time with legislators and and them not doing what he wanted them to do, he had his own way of of exerting pressure. Uh, on people. What do you make of this tactic of saying, well, I'm just going to shut the government down until you do what I need you to do? Well, I think in any role of leadership, you better be prepared f to know where you want this to end up and then know the steps to get there and, and what the end result is. And then you deal with the variables uh, as you go through that process. And I, I think this decision was made without knowing what that next step was going to be. Um, and when you're dealing with a hostile opposition that really, and you look at Congress, they don't have to get anything done. That's not their responsibility. Um, so they can wait it out. So what is the pressure point that's going to get them to make a decision? Um, he canceled Nancy Pelosi's flight to the, the Middle East. <laughs> Maybe he cancels her, her plane back home to California. Maybe, you know, what are you going to do in the process to, to get people to the table? And I don't think they thought it through that's quite a good that point, far. John. Yeah, what was his leverage? He just lost, a, his party just lost a massive midterm election. So at the weakest point of his presidency, he's he's exerting leverage he doesn't have. Yeah, and and I'll go back to when when Governor Engler was you know this is twenty five years ago or so proposal A, mm -hmm. and that mm -hmm. passed uh, the night before Christmas Eve. 
Well, we had Christmas as a backstop. We were in session for four days straight or so, something like that, and everybody wanted to go home. Half the legislature hadn't done their Christmas shopping, <laughs> so that's in the back of their mind. And then he slowly picked off one by one legislators by finding out what they really wanted. What did they want for their districts? And I, you know, this harkens back to the old days, but Kwame Kilpatrick was really uh, instrumental in bringing seven or eight votes along that actually put it over the top wow. because we knew what, what was needed and there were programs and things that different legislators wanted and, and those were offered up. And that at that point, Kwame would have been in the House. He was in the House. Yeah, yeah the min- of, I think he was the minority leader. Uh, yeah, wow. That's, well, you're old. That's uh, yeah, tell say. me. Good That's a long time ago. Half your listeners weren't born then. So. <laughs> That's right. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Let's go to Brandon in Detroit. Brandon, welcome to Detroit today. Hey, Ben, always good to have you have me on. Uh-huh. Uh, I think the Roger Stone situation is an inkling of things to come. Uh, uh the administration. I think you're going to see. I think Junior right now is probably on Mueller's uh, hit list, and I think you're going to believe to see some things where now I think people are going to start getting concerned, and I even think Trump is going to start to kind of have some concerns and reservations that now you've got uh, you know his one of his best allies who just was indicted, and I think if it comes down to his son, uh, I think you may see Trump go ahead and make that resignation. Hmm. I also want to say really quick. Uh, one of the things that's interesting is you guys talked about the State of the Union. Uh, the State of the Union address does not have to be given in the U.S. Capitol. Right. We we may see the first State of the Union at the wall. I mean, this is a guy who has <laughs> go shown down to the that, border and do it, <laughs> or down at down at the border. But this is a guy who has shown that and I think that the Democrats' fault. This is a guy who likes the press. Most politicians <laughs> run away from the press. This guy runs towards runs the press. Toward it. So be so. The State of the Union will go on. It may not go on in the U.S. Capitol this that's year. That's a really interesting. That's a really interesting prediction, Brandon. I hadn't thought of maybe him going and doing it elsewhere and he making loves, it even more political. He loves the, West Virginia. I yeah, can see him right. Going there. You know, the, the one thing I, I will say about the comment: um, just keep in mind, Roger Stone is a very odd character. Always has been, and tends to inflate his involvement yeah so you you never quite know if what he's saying is true or not so just bear that in mind as this this goes forward i'll give you a a couple things to chew on one we don't we don't know who's been told they're a target when you look at the president the way he reacts on twitter some days you have to wonder if somebody around him has been told you are a target when you when we're at this stage of the investigation um uh, people usually know what's coming their way so i wonder if there's some target notices out there we don't know about yet Secondly, let's talk about his relationship really quickly with his kids and what kind of man Donald Trump is. For anybody to assume that he would capitulate um, um, to save his kids, that he would capitulate to save anybody, might be, giving him, might be giving him too much credit. Um, so it's, 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 I, I know that is a tactic that the, that the Mueller uh, operation uh, would consider, um, but I'm not so sure that the president would take the Spiro Agnew approach that we talked about earlier. I'm not so sure that he would out and let his kids uh, go to jail. I, 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 I would not. Um, I would not assume otherwise. Wow, wow, that would be that would be a, yet another remarkable turn uh, in the story if that happened. Again, Brandon, thanks for the call and the thoughts. Let's go to Chuck in Franklin. Chuck, welcome to Detroit today. Hi, Stephen. Hey, about about the uh, State of the Union cancellation. I- I'm trying to imagine the national reaction. If a Republican speaker 
had canceled the State of the Union address of a President Barack Obama. Hmm. And in imagining that, I was thinking back to the other um, uh, joint session of Congress address by Obama, where Representative Joe Wilson of South Carolina chirped up and said, you lie about uh, a, um, I think what was indeed a misstatement by Obama about Obamacare. Um, and, and, the, and the reaction was furious. And, and it wasn't, you know, a, a matter of, well, they were both wrong or, um, oh, this is uh, partisanship. It was, you know, they, wa- they wanted to run Joe Wilson out of the, out of the House. Yeah. Yeah. I'll take that as a, as a member of the longtime member of the left wing mainstream media who covered Barack <laughs> Obama um, as a reporter. If Barack Obama's family and campaign manager um, had been working with the Russians in his reelection campaign um, and, and had been trading information with the Russians and had asked the Russians to hack uh, Mitt Romney's email account. Um, if Barack Obama's campaign manager lied about um, his financial ties with the Russians if Barack Obama's best friend um, was working with WikiLeaks to get the information out, if Barack Obama at the, at the, at the end of a string of eight indictments um, by a special prosecutor closed down the government and said, I will proudly close down the government um, over a, um, um, a proposal that um, wasn't soundly backed in reality but was a talking point that his, that his aides gave him so he would remember to talk about immigration, uh, we would be crucifying Barack Obama. Yeah, no I, doubt about I, it. I think it's very. Yeah, I think as you point out, it's very different. The situation is just not comparable to it's what uh, you know. Obama was very careful not to do things and and to to not incite uh, unfair criticism of him because he knew that there would be people who would be ready to jump on him because of his race. I mean, there, there's no question that he was the subject of very different kinds of criticism just because of that. And I thought he handled himself in a really smart way and not sort of inviting more of that. Donald Trump is the opposite. I mean, this is somebody who has broken every norm in in the job and doesn't feel like uh, he can even be held accountable for that. And just to put some context, maybe credibility around what I just said, um, uh, you can say what you want about politically, what you want about Barack Obama and even George Bush, who I covered, but you can't say they were corrupt and surrounded by corrupt folks who were putting um, sure. uh, the country's interests, uh, another country's inter- interests over ours. But you can say that credibly about Trump, Donald Trump right now. Yeah. Go ahead, I, I do want to say as it relates to WikiLeaks and the dossier and, and everything that, that kind of went into this that is the basis for uh, what we're talking about. Campaign operatives have worked with media outlets, uh, which now is, is social media outlets, you know, since the beginning of time to try to throw mud at your opponent, uh, get them to expose certain things. So the fact that they're talking with those outlets is really nothing new. Um, what is different is that there was always an ethical check by the media to make sure that it was true before it went or was published. And I think that's what's gone from politics today. So you can find your news outlet to print whatever you want. Um, unfortunately, there's a lot of, of stuff out there that just doesn't have the credibility or the facts to back it up. Well, and what's also different here is you had an American presidential campaign getting the information from Russian-connected people. That There's no precedent for that, right? Well, that's not proven yet. 
Well, I no, think no, that is yet to be proven. We, we don't know if there's a conspiracy <laughs> to undermine the election, but we do know they were getting. We, we do know they were getting information yeah, from. That's you, a new Well, any campaign gets. To, I used to get tons of stuff sent to me. Most of it from was not. Most of it was <laughs> from inmates, and you know, people love to contact a campaign. Just most of it's not true. Yeah. You have to know. You have to be discerning enough to know what's true and what's not. I mean, Good point. do you think, John, that there is uh, that there is something here that there is fire uh, to, to explain the smoke? I really have no idea. Um, and, and I think, you know, on, on one hand, people get all excited about a rumor. Um, a lot of the rumors have been proven to be, you know, not quite what they were cracked up to be. So I, I don't have any idea. All, all my, my, my opinion is that what's out there is much more inflated than what is actually there. Mm-hmm. So, for example, we do know a, a woman who identified herself as being um, – uh, part of the the Russian government um, contacted Donald Trump's son and said, I have some information, some dirt on Hillary Clinton. And he said, if that's true, I love it. I can't imagine any um, Republican or Democratic c- campaign official who I've covered in the past who would have responded that way. Uh, they would have run away from the Russian email and handed it over to the FBI. Knowing I, that that was uh, just out of bounds. I, I, I think so. It's never been in bounds in our in our in our in our politics. And I've never dealt with anything at that level. I have never been contacted by the Russian government with any political (laughs) (laughs) sensitive information. Wasn't trying to make sure that Angler beat uh, Jeff Feige. That's what I'm aware of. We didn't need much help with that one. Of course, John thinks I'm communist. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. All right. John Truscott and Ron Fournier of the Truscott Rossman Consulting Firm. It's always great to catch up with you here on Detroit Today. Thanks, Stephen. Congrats on the new Washington office. Thanks, Thanks, my friend. All right, up next, I'm going to talk to a filmmaker who is exploring Detroit's rise, fall, and revitalization through the eyes of a mail carrier. Stay with us on Detroit Today. 